No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode number 196. You almost sounded like um, a really good compare then. I thought you'd say a really good game show host, yeah. Oh, compare. Compare. There's well, a, a place not far from us. What's it called? It's a comedy place. And uh, before the compare comes on, there's like a little obviously recorded message that says welcome, blah, blah, blah. Right. I thought you were going to refer to me as someone like Bruce Buffer. Buffer. Um, What's his brother's name? There's two of them, there's a Bruce Buffer and I can't remember his name. Obviously, I think I think Bruce is the one that does UFC. Let's get ready to rumble. Oh, who's the guy in that who does the what, boxing? Uh, that's his brother. So his brother oh, does the boxing, and uh, I think it's Bruce does the, the UFC. But obviously, they've basically created an entire brand or a com- company, which, to be fair, probably make millions on just by being able to you know make that noise. <laughs> And it's time, as he goes. Speaking of uh, UFC, did you see? Um, oh, is it Dustin? I butcher the Dustin Bryan and Poirier. Yeah, him and Brian Shaw. I have not. When you say seen it, Brian Shaw is in the American Strongman. Yeah, they are on the are they? they? Um, what, as in, like sparring or something. I think he's just showing Brian Shaw to do certain things, like, but it's like. People are debating whether Shaw would beat him in a fight. I'm like, he's literally, literally, twice yeah. or three times his weight. And if he's if he's not a obviously the UFC fighter is clearly more skilled and pound for pound he would batter Brian Shaw if he was the same size clearly. But he's so big and so strong that he'll just lay on top of him and he won't get up. Yeah. Are, are you, so when you say fight, you're talking literally just a fight to the death type thing, street fight or. Because yeah. obviously in an MMA fight, I mean, I yeah. probably still think he'd win just because he's purely so fucking big. But it'd be a lot closer than you might think. Um, oh yeah, and and, and but he's, they, they showed him kicking. I'm like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ! He just swung a lazy leg and he's put the guy in the air. Yeah, did you, that, was like, I remember like, when um, strong men are harder than UFC fighters by any stretch because the size of him is so big. He was after a. A fairly large UFC fighter, any any heavyweight fighter would batter Brian Shaw for fun. It wouldn't be a competition. But this guy's prize worth one fifty. Uh, he uh, what is he? He's lightweight or light middle? I can't remember. Or uh, I can't remember what weight class he is now. Um, so was around, is nearly three times bigger. I think I think he's one four eight on fight. I think the weight class he was one four eight or. Yeah, I think 148, or it might be 155, I can't remember. Um, I don't think he's as big as 170, because Conor McGregor had to go up to 170 to fight Nate Diaz, and obviously that was the weight class higher. But yeah. I remember when, um, I was going to say, uh, who was he fighting? He was leading up to fight. He was leading up to a reasonably big fight anyway. Maybe it was even the Nate Diaz fight, I think. Or well, actually, no, it might have been the Joe Jardim fight. I don't know, whenever it was, it was a while ago. But he, they had some footage on his Instagram of Conor McGregor sparring with Bjorn, Bjorn Hafferson, yeah, the mountain. And you just again the fucking size difference is ridiculous, yeah, and madness. yeah, don't get me wrong. I think I mean I say in an MMA match, I still think it'd be a lot closer than you think, albeit because I, I guess striking, you, they're so big, like the the power difference between the two. 
you only got to get caught and then like mm, okay it might be lights out type thing but like if if the big dude caught you know the smaller dude so if like whoever yeah. we're talking about if like brian shaw caught poirier um yeah it's fucking lights out probably but obviously he's got more skills he's less likely of getting caught he's faster quicker um obviously more agile and stuff problem is he could probably also take a lot of punches so the amount of like I mean, if I if I was someone like Poirier, all I would do is dance around, just chop his legs down, just keep yeah, chopping yeah. at his legs, and eventually. And I'll be honest, if you're not used to, um, I used to, I did a, I did a bit of my tie when I was a bit younger, and it, if you're not used to a leg kick, holy fuck, honestly, the pain, the pain of a, a shin to like the thigh or the calf is something you can't describe. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it is on you and it's side of your thigh. Yeah, it's horrific. Yeah. Like, oh, it's a, if you get hit, yeah, if you get hit on that. Um, the IT band sort of bit. yeah that that type of area so the outer, outer quad basically on that side there is something about that bit it's like oh my f- Jesus days um, so yeah I think like it, it, Poirier or whoever could probably still chop his legs down reasonably yeah. quickly if they're not because obviously they ain't going to be used to getting fucking slammed no. shin slam shin slam shin slam after shin slam oh 100% if he danced around him and kicked his legs he'd win 100% yeah problem is yeah. They were talking about it. I think it was in a, his YouTube. I think it was. And they were like, "If Shaw gets hold of him, he said, yeah, he would literally just hold on to him and he wouldn't want to move." Yeah. So you know, probably win. But I would imagine a professional fight is not going to get in. That's the that. thing. Yeah, he's, he's just not yeah. going to get caught as long as because the thing is, even even like he'll obviously be far more skilled in jiu-jitsu or or grappling or re- even wrestling. Um, but the size and power difference again just that makes up for a lot of. The, I mean. You can't make up for all of you can't basically you can't just be strong and be better than someone at jiu-jitsu. Obviously, jiu-jitsu is a highly skilled thing, but there are some. If you are so strong compared to the other person, you'll be able to get out of some stuff purely because you are stronger. Like yeah. you'll be able to half half ass some fucking moves because you just you can just basically brute strength your way out of something. Um, yeah, I, I do well. I was not in, not in walks in the lockdown. Then K one and he's guy who trains and Jay does it. He's a former European champion. K one, right? So I did. He does a bit of jujitsu as well. Not with him, so Sparta guy he was a bit smaller than me, but I could brute force on top of him and stop him doing stuff because he tried. I tried and he didn't. But if he was on top of me, I couldn't brute brute force out because he just hurt me. But he's not a black belt. Don't get me wrong. He's like whatever. I don't know what isn't. I'm not even a blue. Blue's quite high in it, but it's below her. Yeah. So I could brute force certain things. Then you like what do I do now? You can't punch in jiu-jitsu, Obviously, you can't punch him in the head. So what do you do now? So no matter how big and strong you are, mm-hmm. if you're on a road with someone who's more skilled, you ain't winning. It's not like kickboxing. You've got a puncher's chance. You've got no chance no, at all. Nothing. There's no hope. No hope. If you're similar weight, even if you're what would you call a lot stronger in terms of I don't know. You go to the gym and the guy doesn't. You're still not a win. Yeah. You can. You, well, you can only hope that you just manage to get, you know, get on top of someone, or and you can just grab an arm and just twist it in a position, just because of, again, pure strength. That's about as, as. And even then, it's like incredibly difficult because the amount of skill and agility involved that they can then obviously kind of move, maneuver out of positions. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I I've been saying like I want to take up jujitsu, but I, and I started looking at it prior to lockdown, and then lockdown happened, and I was like, oh no really want to start doing that and now obviously I can't so when when things kind of get a bit back to normality and I feel a bit more comfortable I might start looking into taking up again because yeah it's a brilliant, brilliant thing I'm doing K1 when, I, when it's lockdown's done but he does jiu-jitsu as well but I'm like 
and we'll get a time to do it all. Yeah, that's that's all. That's also half my problem, I think, is that I think, oh, when am I going to fit it in, though, along with everything else that I already do? But I don't know. I, would, I do think also, if you if you have one style of self-defence, I think jiu-jitsu is probably the most effective for kind of like your everyday protection. Mm, I disagree. Mm. I would say boxing. Controversial. I would say boxing. If you, went the first, if you, if you, if you wouldn't box, you just... It'll be the end of it. You you be you would look at a street fighter, not a street fighter, but honestly, you you'd be like, this guy is so slow and so inaccurate. You just go pop, and it'd be the end of it. Yeah, but you're you're then assuming that the other person's going to box you back and not wrestle you to the ground, and then your boxing's fucking useless. I think we can argue for either one. I think I'd win though in jiu-jitsu still being more more effective. I think the problem with jiu-jitsu, obviously, it's not it's no good if you're can't get you can't close a distance and get get hold of somebody, um, but. Let's be honest. In a, if you're being kind of um, physically attacked and not attacked with a, I mean, even with a knife, but you know, not being shot at or something, you're probably okay and you're probably gonna be able to. And I think if you're half decent at jiu-jitsu and can take someone down, then boxing's gonna do nothing for you. You'll be fucked. If you can get close. Yeah, but you'll be able, you you can't not get close if they're fucking boxing unless someone's just trying to jab you or keep you at distance. Which, to be honest, doesn't work for wrestlers or like you, you can look at many decent jiu-jitsu fighters and they can get close enough just to take someone down because boxing you can't keep people off of you so unless, i mean the only obviously unless you just take one i mean you could argue you know you might get a fucking like jorge masvidal when he took out ben Askren. obviously Askren went straight in for the takedown and just knee to the forehead and he's out cold in what, like three seconds <laughs> whatever the fuck it was but you know that doesn't happen that often i just think it if you had to put a boxer against someone who would jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu would win every time. I think wrestling would, like a wrestler would win every time. Wrestling is so, un wrestling is almost the base of all fighting. Like if you can wrestle, you probably bet, and you and the other person can't, that takes away so many weapons from people. And I think a boxer just, will be fucked against a wrestler. And the same way a boxer will be fucked against a jiu-jitsu person. But obviously, none of this helps if someone's got a fucking gun and shooting at you, so. On a street fight in a pub, I don't think it, I don't think it, no. Well, so now, now you've got a different argument, though. You've got a... Oh, it's so, always street fight actually in the, on the street. Or no, no, no. What, what I mean is, obviously, the argument is a boxer versus someone in jiu-jitsu. Professional fighters. Well, not even well, professional or not. I think even the street fighter, the same argument still applies. What I was going to say is, a different argument is a boxer versus someone completely unskilled or a jiu-jitsu person completely unskilled. Because let's be honest, the unskilled person's fucked either way. But obviously, I'm talking about a boxer versus someone who's skilled in jiu-jitsu. I think the jiu-jitsu person wins every time. Right, because I, I, I was arguing at a point of, as in what is better in a street fight to defend, as in what skill have you got against the other person, as in not the other person's got the opposite skill, you know what I mean? Like you're a boxer and he's a jiu-jitsu, as in I'm thinking you've got boxing skills and this other guy's just a fucking randomer. Yeah, or, yeah, well, yeah, well. Skills and this other guy's just a randomer, because most people will go, come on then. They push you and they're already, they're already gone, they, they've touched you and they're gone. They're, they're unconscious. Well, if let's say, that's... that's that's the other good thing about jiu-jitsu, though, is that, well, you can restrain them, put them out cold, or, yeah, maybe break an arm or something, um, rather than punch them in the head, they fall over, crack the head in the curb and die, which is probably not really what you want, because you might go to prison, so. I'd say either one is definitely something good to learn if it gives you that confidence when you're out, not to go, you know, fighting everyone, because it's ridiculous, but to go, you know, if I have, if I had to defend myself, then I, I've got some skill to do it. I, th I think, I th yeah, I think on that, and I know we are, as always, way off topic, but um, I think my experience of people that know how to fight a bit 
mostly uh, stops them actually fighting because they kind of like the the people that are always oh, go on let's show you a fucking year they're the ones that can't fight because they they you know they're always they they don't realise obviously that um what am I trying to say or how am I trying to say basically the the people that know how to fight know they can fight so they don't need to be big big balls about it mm. they don't you know it's almost like they respect the art they respect obviously well yeah respect the art of it so therefore they're usually calm and cool they they know that the last thing they really want to do is get into a fight whereas obviously yeah. it's usually the unskilled people that are God is such yeah fuck you whatever and it's, you know so I think even that the kind of almost learning the discipline of a a discipline so of some sort of martial arts i think will stop loads of fights even happening because people just you like calm down mate whatever and you know they're in control of the situation the guy who came up with the other guy who is in the same gym shaggy knows himself die very relaxed blacked out does a bit of mma very relaxed never wound up does yoga you'd have to you'd have to poke his eyes over him to, for him to react yeah. and he is an absolute machine yeah well, he, he but, probably Ever use it? Yeah, he probably knows he can he can take out ninety nine percent of people, so he doesn't ever feel threatened or worried about it. So so it never probably even gets the fights. Well, the only time I've seen him perform was I think the guy was four, five, six stone heavier, big lump, mm-hmm. and he made him look ridiculous because mm. he was so calm. And the guy threw a punch, and he was like, "I've just thrown a punch, but now I'm on a deck. What's happened there?" <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember watching uh, Carlton's first fight when he started getting into. MMA and you remember watching that was like over in 60 seconds because I think I remember the, he gave him a leg kick and the guy went down from the leg kick like literally kicked her leg and just swept him the guy obviously thought whoa that was a shock to the fucking system and then just gave up as you could see you could just see mentally he was like broken from that first kick like oh, I, yeah this is something that I hadn't, that I hadn't experienced before I didn't think of if you can kick it's definitely an advantage because I think people assume you almost kick people with your feet when it's like no, no you're, shin. Fucking, you're sticking your shin in your leg, not your feet. Mm. Your shin going in someone's leg, and it's, it's bone. It's going to hurt the other person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, leg kicks. Obviously, you're, you're aiming for shin into yeah, like you say, shin into muscle. Um, and if, if someone, if you hit someone in the in the, in the thigh with a half decent leg kick, I don't think they're going to be standing up. No, nah, no, probably not. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's let's remember we are a nutrition podcast. Um, obviously uh, we, we said at the end of last week's episode that we went on so many tangents and talked about so many different things that we never actually got to the topic um, so we will try and cover that topic today uh, we also due to have a guest but unfortunately that guest has had to cancel last minute something about wife and hormones and some excuses I don't know so um, that, that I've, I've just suddenly realised um, without the context of that that sounds really misogynist and we, we you know we were talking about um, <laughs> What we were talking before about progressives and me being very not progressive. Uh, I was not being misogynist. Uh, his wife is uh, currently bearing child, so her hormones are um, causing some. I don't, I don't even. I can't remember what he said, but basically he said hormones all over the place, and she's having some sort of meltdown. She might not even like me saying this on the podcast, um, but too late now. I could just edit it out. I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, so yeah, hopefully next week we will have said guest, and you'll find out who I am talking about. But for now, we will keep it a secrets so shall we johnny do what we don't normally do and get straight into the topic i think we better add really yeah better. well we are already 50 minutes in and fucking talked about it so and I'm, i just dropped an f-bomb for no reason so how often do you have chips johnny 
chips, you just said. Fish and chips. Let's let's say how often do you have any takeaway? On on, on average, maybe I don't know. Every two to three months. Two to three months. That takeaway is is not always going to be your typical Indian Chinese pizza. That may just well be in this state of affairs of, of, of the corona. I have actually ordered a takeaway of a uh, chicken breast strap potato and vegetables. Nice. <laughs> but mm. where would you get said takeaway from? What sort of uh, place that just sells that type of thing? Not, not, a, not a pubs are doing it around, around here because obviously they can't. Oh, right, yeah. Thought, you know, so pub food. I, lo- I love Indian, but it doesn't, not it doesn't agree with me, but I just feel bloated and shit after it. So I just, I don't just, even though it tastes nice, it's just, I just try to avoid it really most of the time. So yeah. on average, once every two or three months, maybe. I would say that even includes eating out. Wow, okay. Wow. Uh, well, I, I mean, that question obviously was a little bit loaded, but I, I would say that you're very much below the, the average consumption of the UK, say. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, we, well let's be fair. In the UK, it's, it's normal to drink like a fucking idiot and eat loads of shit every weekend, isn't it? And yeah. it seems to be abnormal if you go, well, actually, I don't really fancy a drink or a takeaway, and you're almost seen as freaking what to do it when it actually is. So when actually, no, the state of the freaking UK's health is odd to be having takeaways and drinking like a fucking idiot every weekend. Yeah. In my- well, I, th- I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head about using that term, it's kind of deemed normal. Because obviously it is, it is almost normal to eat like, you know, eat like a child, effectively, all but the it- time. Just basically, and when I say eat like a child, I guess that mentality comes down to eating what I want to eat, not what I know I either should be eating. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what it comes down to. You know, you, you're you're eating basically what your desires want want you to eat, rather than kind of thinking, well, actually, maybe I should include some foods for other potential benefits rather than what I know tastes good or what I, you know, kind of my desires are saying. Maybe have some vegetables. Maybe have some lean protein sources or you know not even necessarily lean protein sources but some protein sources. maybe i should consider the calorie contents of my of my meals that type of thing you can but you can go there's so many restaurants around i mean these days you can even look on an app these days right i want this type of food whatever it doesn't mean you have to go out and eat loads of shit just because you're on the night out you can go out and sneak quality quality food when you're on a night out you can offer food like, you can have a steak, jack potato, veg, and then have a dessert if you wanted to. I mean, you're having something sweet. You're having a nice meal, and you're not... Like, I... Like me, I don't... I, I never really crave takeaways. Ever. Because they don't... No matter what takeaway it is, I don't care. Anyone that's telling me, oh, that's the best takeaway ever. They're all fucking greasy, too much of it, and it's like, they're all the fucking same. They're all the same. All the Chinese are the same. Taste like you're eating 3,000 chemicals. In a in a forkful, I just it doesn't really. Uh, I don't really crave it. You know? I, I think um, there's a, there's a few things. So I guess we're so obviously there's there's there is a an obesity pandemic. Let's say across across the Western world, especially um, like obesity rates are on the rise. They're now I can't remember. I don't even know the facts and figures now about the UK alone. But um, you know we are talking something like. 50% of adults are classed as obese. I mean, in fact, we could probably Google it and find out some something on our world and data or world or something that has some official data sources. But 
you know, we are talking a large proportion of people now um, are considered obese or overweight. So, and it, and it, obviously this is reflective across across the globe. And, and it, we would say that a lot of the the things that kind of contribute to this is around um, well, obviously food availability and kind of the, the food environment, the food marketing, and all those types of things, but also convenience. Now you just mentioned the app, uh, you know, or an app saying, "Oh, look, you know, you can pick up an app and get whatever." And obviously, again, that's fundamentally a big problem. The fact that we have so much food available to us at such ease and convenience. Um, now you can shout at your fucking smart speaker and say, "Oi, Alexa, get me a pizza, will you?" And you know, you've, within ten minutes, you've got a dom- large Domino's meal with you know whatever it all comes with four sides and two bottles of Pepsi and tub of Ben and Jerry's at the end of it type thing. Um, which add that to things we've talked about before around food reward and mechanisms within our brain of um, how rewarding those like hyper palatable, ultra processed, high calorie, high protein carbs and fat, you know, so which all of these different kind of varieties of macronutrients, they all kind of add together to and then obviously different flavors like adding in kind of higher salt all of these things that work on, which to be fair, it sounds like I'm just describing everything you eat, which almost is, but you add in the element of that being hyper palatable and ultra processed, that is like, you know, ultra triggering for our reward systems. And therefore what makes us want to overeat, which is all then with the availability in, uh, of food and, and the food marketing and food environment, that then almost points to this, you know, large parts of the causes to, I mean, there's, there's other things, but large parts of the causes of obesity. Um, and I suppose like the reason the context of that is because obviously things like takeaways and the culture and perception of how often, you know, how, how often normal consumptions of those types of foods are, that is also part of the problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense because I often people work, whatever, nine to five, Monday to Friday, go out on a Saturday night, get steam and have a, have a takeaway at the end of the night. I've just found some data from the NHS of obesity rates and over adults being overweight in the UK. It is it is obscene. The the majority of adults were over, uh, apparently says 67% of men are overweight. 60% of women and of this 26% of men were obese. 29% of women were obese. And so yeah, so you just flick over to the NHS if you 11,117 hospital admissions directly attributable to obesity in 2019-2020. 876,000 hospital admissions where obesity was a factor, an increase of 23% on 17-18 when there were 711,000 admissions. The majority of adults, ah no, this is what the data is, the majority of adults were overweight or obese, 60% of men and women, I'm guessing that is percentage of that 876,000 yeah maybe yeah well i mean just the headline figure i think i just took there was uh and i'm assuming it's measured by by bmi score or something but two-thirds basically are overweight a third are obese so yeah two two thirds of 25 to 28 is it or 25 to 30 i can't remember um and then 30 onwards 30 to 35 would be obese i'm looking at this statistic as well then 20 percent of the year six children, so I'm assuming year six is, is that just before? Uh, year six, is it year eight, nine, ten, no. Yeah, ten, eight, eight is first year high school, isn't it? 
that's maybe the last year middle school but that's year six is last year primary school and year seven is right okay. um so if it, well, it could be, but it says children, so I'm assuming children means, you know, in fact, when they're 16, it could be, but these are potentially 10 and 11-year-olds, 20% of year six children will, will class as obese. That's one in five, which is sh- fucking shameful. Mm. And I, I, but, and this, you can't say it's, um, it's of the environment as well. However, people kids are very impressionable of what you say, what you do, and how you behave. And if most adults are behaving, oh, let's go and get shit first on the weekend, let's eat loads of shit, then well, clearly the child is going to think, well, that's okay. I'll end up doing the same thing, potentially. Mm. You know, that's 20% of... That is that is a, a huge amount. Yeah, I mean, the, ch- the, the, the child story is, is a difficult so, one. Um it's really sad. It's really shit to hear, but it's also a really difficult one because, as you say, there's so many different kind of confounding factors as to why that is. Um, and obviously, you can't, you can control your child's diet. Uh, obviously, as parents, we control what goes in their mouth to a certain extent. However, there are so many facets to consider. Uh, as you say, they're impressionable. What you do and kind of how you act, what you say. Uh, all of those things kind of will have an impression on that child, um, and I, I and you can't other, other than kind of proactive exposure. I don't think there's too much more you can do with kids. I know we're going off topic slightly, but um, I'm loath to say too much about pediatric nutrition or child nutrition because obviously we're not qualified at all really to even talk about it. And obviously, when people do talk about it, I, I do kind of like squeeze or like crease up a little bit, like oh, I don't think you should be talking about this. Um, and that should be left to the experts. I kind of like, I get that a bit because obviously I think nutrition for children is way more behavioral and way more environmental than it is kind of like the physical stuff of kind of nutrients and the actual food intake. And what I mean by that is I think like what you do, what you say, the foods they're exposed to in the environment you create is way more important than what they actually eat. That's one of those things where you some people don't even realise what they're saying is affecting them. Yeah. Which is like, it's oh. down for them. It's the education of the adults, not knowing. But it's not their fault either, you know what I mean? Because they've been exposed to so much bullshit. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what they say and do is like the kids are picking up an air that you're not, you, know, you don't really realise. Oh, as an example, like, I've, I in, in my household, I'm seen as quite militant or controlling, I suppose. Oh, no, actually, I say I, I've seen, I don't know that because no one's said that to me. But sometimes I get the impression like, my like my wife um family that like i've got obviously my my like parents of of my in-laws have looked after my children as for childcare when i'm working and things and i'm quite conscious and clear about like i don't want them to say things like good or bad foods i don't want them to kind of talk about dieting or talk about oh i shouldn't be eating this or this type of stuff around them because i'm just really conscious that they are that impressionable that it can really generate some really poor behaviors in long in in kind of like later life almost and i i've seen it with like other family members where like i blame my my mum for dieting constantly and t- like my mum my mum is obviously a typical adult in the 70s 80s and 90s constantly worried about weight diet culture dieting her entire life and i will say that i genuinely think that has had an impression on like my sibling 
Um, and her manager not been able to manage her weight very well. I mean, I think I got lucky that I probably took an active interest and learned more and just self-developed where I've kind of managed to almost like avoid it almost. Like I, I as, a, as, a, as a child, I was okay, but kind of I've always struggled my weight in some stretch, probably from mid early teens so maybe high school onwards let's say that so like high school onwards I've kind of struggled with weight in some way shape or form whether it is physical weight or if it's kind of more the mental side of it I've always had some struggles up until you know you could you could argue even still now but up until that you know like more into adult life and I would say a lot of this is comes from the impressions and stuff created in the environment at home clearly other stuff has an environment environmental issue in terms of kind of just general diet culture and all the things like that as well because it's, it's, you can't avoid it completely, no matter how well you try and set up your home environment. But I do think it's had a big role to play. Um, anyway, exactly. yeah, it is hard. And I think, obviously, that, that's what I mean by, I think, when, you, when you're talking about pediatric nutrition and stuff, yes, there is the, the kind of the more um, fundamentals around kind of making sure that child's getting enough energy, first and foremost, trying to obviously make sure that you then broaden their, their nutrient intake, their... Um, vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, all of those type of stuff. Sufficient protein, albeit they don't need anywhere near as high a protein as, as you know, like an adult might do. So I think a lot of the time people worry about protein in children probably a little too much than they, they need to. Um, in fact, I think some of the evidence suggests that children probably, like certainly kind of infants anyway, um, should actually have quite a low protein uh, intake. I think there's some some health risks with having a high, in air quotes, high protein diet. But anyway, there's by the by for another time I'm not qualified to really talk about that um anyway where was I going with that so yeah uh, again, there is that kind of like physical aspect of child nutrition that people should worry about and try to obviously improve but I actually think the as I say the behavioral aspect and the kind of the exposure you have to your children is far more important so things like and what I mean by that is like just you know as a parent I think you should just be trying to encourage a helpful diet and when I say encourage I literally mean that encourage you know surround them provide them expose them to foods that you consider healthy so lots of fruits and vegetables you can't force them to eat it i guess that's where i was going with this whole tangent is when you were saying about obviously like child obesity and and when i said around obviously parents controlling people's food yes they do but you can't force a child to eat fruits or vegetables you can't force a child to to have certain habits but you can just try to guide and direct them by exposing them to those foods and trying to limit exposure to other stuff and to be careful about the way you talk about things in front of them and how you kind of like I talk about food centered summer like I would never ever say chocolate is bad you shouldn't eat too much chocolate um I would say um it's fine to eat some chocolate we just don't want to eat too much but all look at all these other foods these fruits and vegetables they make you really strong and healthy and you grow up and you know you know you get big muscles and you just joke around that type of stuff and I think that is obviously a better way to expose your child to tried to provide you know encourage a healthier diet than it would be to say no you can't have that food that's bad for you and i guess that's what you know i want to try and get other people that obviously also have access to my children aka carers <laughs> parents and stuff to obviously be on the same wavelength and it's not that easy because obviously people's habits now potentially have come from when they were kids and what they've seen yeah yeah i'm not saying it's the parents fault it's just like if you don't know, you don't know you. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Like, if you, you don't know, sure. It's like, obviously, back in, like, even recently, that a breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's, it's not, but, like, he lies now, but sometimes she'll have breakfast, same as she wants. I won't force her either way. She's like, do you want breakfast? No. I'm like, whatever. Or, 
she's normally know what kids are like. Oh, I don't want it because I want to do something else. Mm. So I say, are you full? Yes. Okay. Don't want to, don't have to eat anymore. Yeah. It means yeah. you've got to. You, it's things you've got to be careful, haven't you? But it's like you know, people have gone, you know, maybe twenty, thirty years with the impression of a guy. I'll, I'll work Monday to Friday. I've a Saturday or you know, on the piss. Have a takeaway, and then when they die again, they they beg him for a takeaway and a, and a couple of beers yeah. after a month. You're like you know, we've had twenty odd years of doing that. You could probably go, you know, more than a few months without eating it. Yeah. You know? I think. I mean, obviously that that example there, I think, is fundamentally the culture and expectations that we all have. Not we, I suppose we all. Yeah, I mean, I guess society has now normalized you know it's normal to do all that stuff as we said and it's it's not normal to be the person to, to order a steak jack of potato and some fucking green vegetables when they're on a meal out because that isn't normal and this is this is kind of like why i want to talk about this topic because i mean it was i guess it was um inspired by uh, a social media post that i saw about dieting and dieting for like i don't know a couple of months and then um it's the first time they're having fish and chips for like that, you know, that period is like glorifying and putting these fish and chips on a pedestal. Like they were the best things in the world. Like I haven't had these things for like two whole months. Who would believe it? And like, these are going to be the best things ever. And they're going to be gone in 60 seconds type thing. And like, when I read that, I was like, that just screams poor food relationship to me. It just screams like you're putting this food on a, this, this like food pedestal. And actually it kind of shows in us in society and i'm not blaming this individual in the slightest like you say in the, the example or the, the comments you made around it's not being parents fault. it's the same thing i don't think it's their fault i think it's just normalized in culture now that if you don't have a takeaway or fish and chips for a couple of months it's weird it's alien you, you should you know we should be eating these things and i also don't want to be the health professional or the fitness professional let's say like is is saying you shouldn't be eating those sort of foods because you should be eating those sort of foods the literature out there about food restriction shows that restricting or being ultra restrictive on foods is detrimental in many aspects it has poor outcomes in terms of weight management food relationships kind of the mental aspect like being ultra restrictive is generally a a poorer way to go being kind of more flexibly like showing some flexible restraint i should say is more associated with better outcomes like in all in all aspects again in terms of food relationships and weight management and all those types of things so obviously i shouldn't you, you can easily say actually yeah you should be including those foods you shouldn't be demonizing those foods or completely restricting them but in the same breath i also think we should be normalizing as a culture having more you know having periods of not having those foods or you know it shouldn't be that weird that you haven't had them in a couple of months like and maybe like that's does that does that sound like too Hitlerish, too militant? Does it sound too much? I'm allowed to say Hitler, I don't know. I'm allowed to say that. It's just probably on PC as well. Is it too militant? Um, I think so, especially if someone's been diet not dieting, but eating shit for twenty years. It's like you can go a year without it. You've you've had twenty years of it. Yeah, and look at where it's got you, not where you want to be. Yeah. That's I, why you've changed. So you've got to change. Change takes. I know people say, "Oh, habits take this much." Fucking weeks to form. It's like, well, does it really? That's not evidence based either, but yeah. Some things maybe, yeah, but I mean, to change your whole attitude towards food, it takes a long time. It's not just yeah. a case of like, oh, two, three months in, I've been obese for 20 years, now I'm all changed for two months, don't work like that. I, I just, I, I, did, I did just want to, the bit about, oh, you, you know, you've had 20 years, you can go a year without it. I'm not saying even people should go a year without it. That's not what I'm saying in the slightest, I don't think. What I'm saying is it shouldn't feel weird if you go a period of time without it. 
Like you can you can either go about it or not. It doesn't matter. Like we know, you know, if you're controlling energy balance, you're controlling behaviors. You can have takeaways every week. You have takeaways every fucking day if you really want to. It might not be enjoyable if you, in terms of trying to maintain weight or lose weight, especially. But you can do it. We know you can. You can eat fucking McDonald's or, you know, every single meal. You can have a donut a day. You can do whatever. There's there's a billion. You can do the Mark Halb. Is it Halb? I think his name is Mark Halb. The Twinkie diet. Um, you can do whatever, and you know as long as you control energy balance, you can. Any food choices don't matter. But I think when it comes to kind of that mental aspect of it feeling odd, weird, not having it, I think that's where you got a problem. I actually do think that there are some, dare I say it, borderline food relationships maybe. I don't go as far as eating disorders or disordered eating either, but I think there's some borderline food relationship issues there where if you're kind of putting those foods up on a pedestal that, you know, you're glorifying it that bad. Then I, do, I just I don't think it's the healthiest place to be. It's it's very much to me like dry dry January. I'm like if you if you if you really struggle for four weeks not drinking, I would probably have a look at one more you drinking. Oh, your relationship with alcohol, definitely, yeah. Yeah, because four weeks, considering you know, you're probably going to be working Monday to Friday, blah blah blah, whatever. So the time. Yeah, but drink is reduced anyway. There's a lot of people that will. I mean, I know people that drink every night, working or not. Yeah, to me, that's a, to me that that strikes me as a problem. It might not. You know, an alcoholic never sets out to be an alcoholic today. It no. starts up one, you know, whatever, and then one, two a night, then goes up and up and up and up and up. Then like, oh fuck me, I can't stop, and then. For me, it's like if you if if you struggle that bad and then going out going have a bender at the end of it because you've lasted four weeks of the drink, you need to reevaluate. But for me, people listen to us now love a drink will think of me as strange and like you can't tell me. I'm well, I'm fucking, I'm telling you that. If you take if you struggle for four weeks of having a drink, you've probably got an issue with drink or your relationship with drinking. Because how often do people just drink for the sake of drinking rather than they don't, oh, I don't even like that. So what are you fucking drinking for that? Christ's sake. You know what I mean? But it's again, it's normalised behaviour. Yeah. I I, I um I think, yeah, certainly if you if you struggle, as in, you know, you really find it incredibly, incredibly difficult to a point of like really negative feelings towards it, whether it's like anxiety or you know you know, even even almost like true withdrawal almost. Um yeah, obviously that is a problem. Um, I think finding it difficult at times. Yeah, again, I think I think a problem. Um, if, if I find it difficult, yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to trying to just work from ahead what I what I think about it. But I mean, yeah, definitely. I think if you find it difficult, yeah, it's a problem. I think the biggest issue is as well the restriction in terms of things like dry dry January and then the binging or sorry the binge drinking that happens then after it because obviously the first of February comes along and you don't have a drink for. 31 days and you end up just piling into the biggest night of your life which didn't have to be happens and you know same same happens with diets you know we all know that as well again the the, the idea of not having fish and chips for i keep saying fish and chips a fucking takeaway or some foods that you have been restricted or off plan and then having that have a weekend almost always leads to the kind of the binge eating behaviors because they've done that gone off plan and then it's the whole bag of fucking chocolate afterwards or the ice cream or you know, oh, I've done that now, so I'll have the you know the next day. You've, I'll, I'll have another fucking takeaway, and then I'll start again on Monday. Behaviors. 
it's, it's, nothing seems to be moderated anymore, is it? Moderation doesn't seem to be a thing anymore. It's all or nothing, isn't it? All flat out dieting with ridiculous foods and then binging because I can't stick to it. Can't, can't go out and just have one or two drinks and feel alright. I go out and get fucking nailed and then not drink for the fortnight because I feel like shit and I get nailed again. It's like, you know, surely you can balance it. I mean, you are an adult at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah people might enjoy drinking with as a social thing. But, you know, it comes a point where, you know, you clearly eating too much, drinking too much has got a massive, is, is creating a massive, massive issue for the NHS. Massive issue. Costing them absolute horrific money because obviously there are very rare genetic issues where, you know, there's a lipidemia where it's just eating, eating less. I mean, that's not the, all, all of it, is it? It just doesn't, it's not the same. It doesn't work. There's a genetic issue in it. But it's costing the country so much money. And it's, it's, it's very surprising to me how life expects these has gone up like it has over the last, whatever, 30, 40 years. Even though I think this year has gone down. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's either this year or last year. They've said it's for the first time in 50 years or something, life expectancy has actually reduced, not gone up. Mm. You think... You know, there's a lot, a lot of people whinge about doctors dishing out pills for blood pressure and cholesterol and whatever. It's like, well, if the obesity and overweight the rate is 67% in the UK, then is it a thing of, well, actually, this pill is going to do better for this person because, on average, this person is not going to do what I tell it to do anyway in terms of nutrition. So it's better for me to medicate it, it, her or him, because I know... They won't lose weight. They won't do this. They won't do this. So it's like, well, actually, if the UK were all, I wonder if everyone in the UK, it's not going to happen ever, is it? But if everyone in the UK was a norm, within a normal weight band, how many healthcare issues we'd have in the NHS, how much less it would cost the NHS? You're probably talking tens of billions. I'm sure that's been quantified at some point. Someone's managed to quantify what the reduction in kind of even the NHS spend and stuff I'm sure that's been done before because I'm sure I've heard someone talk about it but I think from I think for most <clears throat> you've got to go into schools at an early age young age and get hold of the teachers and the children and teach them good relationship with, good relationship with food activity blah 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 all that sort of stuff so they are brought up thinking that what they're doing is normal not what their parents are doing is normal I mean, I, I used to go out every weekend and not drink. And I used, how many comments I used to have, why are you drinking? They're strange. I'm like, I don't give a fuck what you think. It's strange that you go and get smashed every weekend. Mm. They don't, and it's like, oh, it's not. Yes, 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 but it is. But it is. And you, and you think, I'm strange. It's like, actually, you are just what people like to call a sheep. Yeah. Sheep, sheep You know, you do it just because you can't enjoy something with a drink for once. And you, you pressure you pressured socially. I know social pressure is quite a difficult thing but you know when we get to a certain age I don't think I watch it anymore yeah. <laughs> I think uh, the truth I mean obviously I know again it's slightly it's slightly off top but also slightly related just because I guess it's it's the, the alcohol thing's a reasonable comparison or analogy but I, I always think like we're drinking I, I, I don't have a problem with drinking I drink myself very I mean not very frequently in fact like I don't I can't even remember if I've had a drink so far this year um, did at Christmas Christmas day I think but 
outside of that, I don't even know if I've had, and I, you know, I might go the rest of the year without drinking or there might be occasions where I do have a drink. I don't know. Um, I, I don't restrict myself completely, but then also like when I do drink, I very rarely drink to get drunk. I drink because I even enjoy the alcohol that I'm drinking, or I might drink for the occasion as a bit of a slight social lubricant. But I, I, in my older years now, when I say older, that you know, makes you sound really old, but in my older years that I find I don't like the feeling of being drunk anymore. Like the feeling of being out of control makes me feel uneasy. And I, even the thought of it makes you think, no, I don't really like that. As a, whereas obviously as a teen, I'd be drink, going out to get some, I wouldn't drink to enjoy drink. I'd go out to get smashed. And that was just basically what I did. Um, I don't be wrong. Like it's hard to say that I didn't enjoy it because I think I did enjoy it at the time. So it's hard to say that I think it's even a bad thing because actually I, I was going out and having good nights out and having fun. Um, I also think it's probably part of growing up and part of experience. But I think as people do get older, they do tend to then kind of move away from that and start to kind of think, well, actually there's more important things in life than going out and getting smashed every weekend. But I did, I can't say I didn't enjoy it because I did enjoy going out with friends and kind of had some amazing nights out where I thought these are the best times of your life type stuff. Um, and would have had the same if I, if I wasn't drunk, probably not. But so I guess like some of the parts of the funds are not out are the, reduction in inhibitions then kind of leads to just some kind of like random times hashtag random times type thing because you just you wouldn't do it if you're sober i mean i went on a stag do the south end once with a friend or with my friends but my friend was, was getting married so obviously he had a stag do and he had it south end and i went sober i went i was the only one not drinking out of about a dozen people um and yeah i got loads of comments about oh what are you drinking and i was just like i just don't feel like it it's just not really kind of, I don't feel like I might have a few drinks later type thing, and then inevitably everyone's drunk, and then by that point no one cares if I've actually had a drink or not. So I kind of just didn't then have the pressure after the night out. Obviously the pressure at the start of the night when everyone's sober still, start of the day I should say, rather than like when everyone's sober, but at that point everyone forgets that you're even drinking or not. So, but anyway. Isn't the younger generation now one of the, they drink the least? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the, um, <sighs> I don't know enough about it to know the what you could say the associations are as to why that is, um, whether it's whether it's education, whether it's just change of culture, whether it's more uh, or less available. As in, it's a lot hard. I mean, I've said enough times. I used to go clubbing when I was fourteen with fake IDs and get in. Like I'd, I don't know, there was always an element of like, are we going to get in tonight type thing? But I think at least three out of four times I'd get in. You can't go clubbing nowadays unless you like you. But I mean, I. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think there's anywhere nowadays where you can go and get served in a, in establishments now, unless you are of age, unless it's a really shitty little backstreet kind of pub type thing there where they don't. But most people now are so worried about losing their licences, they're so cautious about, like, certainly big clubs and, like, pubs and chains and that sort of stuff. I think you'd struggle to get in as a as an underage drinker nowadays, whereas I used to do it every week yeah. from, the, from the age of about 14. Is it, is it te- I think it's Tesco, isn't it? If you... If you... If you look under 25, we can ID you. I got ID'd in Sainsbury's being with someone else. That, that, and I didn't have ID, and neither did they. Actually, uh, no, I should take it back. They had ID, I didn't. They wouldn't serve the person I was standing with while they bought alcohol because I didn't have ID. I was like, I'm not buying it. I'm just just in the shop with them, just accompanying them, because we're going to a friend's house. I think they, that was actually the night David Hay fought uh, Value Air, I can't his first name. You know, the big fucking boxer with giantism. Um 
And we went to Sainsbury's and we were going around a friend's house who'd had it on like box office or whatever the fuck it is. And uh, stopped at Sainsbury's, got some beers and I didn't have any idea on me. And bear in mind, I was like, I'm easy mid-twenties or whatever. You know, it's probably 10, 10 plus years ago, but I was mid-twenties. And they're like, yeah, we can't serve him because you haven't got ID. I'm like, all right, I'll go outside then. Just serve him. No, but we've seen him with you now. It's like, this is ridiculous. So, I mean, this, and this was 10 years ago. So you think about like now compared to when I was 14, it's just the world's apart. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that's also part of it. Just the fact that it's a lot more difficult now for um, for people to actually get alcohol as it was when I was at age. But that kind of comes back full circle a little bit as to kind of how we might solve the obesity epidemic. I think while we've still got food manufacturing the way it is, which, you know, is probably going to be unsolvable. You can't just suddenly stop selling the hyperpalatable ultra-processed foods in, in shops and restaurants and whatever else, um, because obviously it's just too big an industry. There's, I think you're fundamentally always going to have a problem with obesity because these foods are will always be available, tempting, and unfortunately, as much as people like to think that they can control what they eat, there are literally, I mean, it's a trillion-pound industry. There are people, scientists, and very very smart individuals making foods that they know or making them as fucking basically as tempting and as palatable and as addictive in air quotes as they possibly can i think that's why you've got to it's got to be in schools and our young young kids now just to, to you know to bear their fruit in like 25 30 years when they're in their mid 30s yeah. i mean i don't th- i don't think even that'll change it or stop it as in stop- See the marketing and the way they produce food and that, but at least it might give people, you know, maybe like this, maybe the skills that you know we've got, you know, so mindfully eating, being aware of what, you know, what's in foods, the calories, how many calories you need, energy expenditure, you know, being active, blah blah blah. Because I think the generate, you know, the people now are fucking lost. 30, 40, 50 goes to obese now, fucking lost. Generally. Yeah, yeah, and I think that might even go some way into then changing this culture and normalising the behaviour of eating healthy foods, having good habits, um, you know, the things that we teach clients when we, you know, when we when we're coaching, and kind of moving away from the culture that is kind of expecting people to eat shit all the time and expecting people to drink all the time, expecting people, you know, you're obsessed if you exercise every day type thing. It's kind of like, well, I think we just got our our kind of priorities and culture so wrong. Um, and, and you know again, just to repeat, that's that's why we feel you feel like it's not people's fault because it's a lot of these kind of external influences that are driving people's behaviours. A bit like what I said about like people like to think that they're in control of what they eat, but to be honest, there is a large factor that control that influences what you eat is not in your control. It is things like marketing, food environment, and the food industries. They control what they they influence what we eat. You'd be you'd be the, the literature out there that shows. The impact it has is completely unrefutable, irrefutable. I don't know. Um, you can't deny that that all has a massive influence on on the obesity epidemic and why people are overconsuming foods. One hundred percent. I don't think like all the, all this uh, all the, the charlatans selling supplements and the, they and they they just let it, they can just do what they want and nobody's there account, making them accountable. Actually, what is that bullshit you selling? Fine, underground fine for being a prick, and then we we'll shut you down. Boof, gone. For being but a, being a like, prick. <laughs> why is it still there? It's just it's like the data says 90% of you fail. Shut it down because it's shit. Crap. It's giving women horrific issues with food and weight. Get rid of it. 
Weight Watchers, get rid of it. Herbalife, find them, 10 million, shut it down. But they don't, because they know someone's getting money somewhere. Because mm. if they really wanted to attack the beast of the day, like, and money was no object, they shut this sh- all this shit down. Keep door people who sell it. No, oh, keep was the best. No, it's not. You fucking bell end. Shut down. Crap. What, what's the uh, what's the what's the take home for people here then? So obviously, again, just to reiterate what the point of this podcast was is to basically say, look, we shouldn't we shouldn't be normalising the eating of uh, like basically unhealthful foods. Like unhealthful foods should. Uh, when I say that, obviously, I need to rephrase that actually because that sounded really poor in terms of throughout that context. So anyone listening to that and not the previous fifty minutes will will probably think, what the fuck's he saying? We shouldn't be normalising the overconsumption and the high frequency uh, of um, just as Johnny tucks into a what is quite a reasonably large conference pair, um, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, uh, we shouldn't be normalising basically the overconsumption and high frequency of you know these unhealthful foods. That people's expectations should probably be slightly changed in terms of what those what that frequency should be, and we shouldn't be glorifying some of these foods to the point where that they, they you know there's questionable people's food relationship. That's basically, I guess, the overall point. So I suppose. The take home for people is just to be aware of it, I guess. I don't think there's there's much more in terms you can say other than just like if you are if you find yourself kind of dieting, restricting, which you know, inevitably you do have to show some restraint, so there is going to be an element of restriction involved, but kind of like really rigid restriction, um, to a point where you are completely denying foods and it's causing you to then have this behaviour when you do then expose yourself to a certain food, like, you know, oh my god, this is the best thing ever, I'm gonna smash this down in sixty seconds and go on with my weekend and binge the hell out of it before I have to start again on Monday. You just basically need to be aware and question yourself whether that's really a helpful action or whether you, you could possibly be um setting yourself up for kind of poorer food relationships over time and, you know, detrimental well, negative associations for the rest of your life potentially. And if you got a friend who's maybe not drinking or is maybe ordering a steak and a salad, don't question it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's got so, a lot of nice. Yeah, some, some, some acceptance of that, actually, that's also very normal. Because I've, I've been sick of people saying, why are you not drinking? Why are we eating? I'm like, I don't have to just myself to you. I'm eating. I, I said, what are we doing? I won't say that again, mate, to you. Don't worry. I'll stop saying that now. Please, don't bully me. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I did. I did say to you at the last conference that we went to, where I was like, "Go on, just have a drink, just one drink, Johnny." And you, obviously, you were not going to. But to be fair, you were also driving home that night, weren't you? So I was like, "You can have one; it's fine." I always drive, see, so it is no. I because I eat arguing, like not arguing. I'm like I'm driving. Well, yeah. As soon as you say you're driving, as soon as you're saying you like, I mean, that's the thing. Is like even if you're not, I'm designated driver, and then everyone just shuts up. Yeah. Which is a good thing, to be fair, because we shouldn't be encouraging people to drink and drive either. <laughs> no, not in the seventies anymore. No. Um, right. Cool. Um, I don't know if there's anything we missed to add. I've actually managed to make a fifty-five minute podcast out of that, so that's quite good. I think. Um, well, maybe something we have missed, but we don't know if someone wants to uh, add something yeah. we haven't done. Yeah, chip in. I mean, we're not we're not saying by any stretch that that, that was a comprehensive, evidence based, uh, com- completely objective kind of view on that. Uh, I don't even want to use the word topics. It's not really a topic, but that that kind of um, idea. But it's just our thoughts as we were going, really. So hopefully, it's at least reasonably enjoyable or mildly entertaining in some way. Even if Johnny ranting about keto, that is always incredibly enjoyable. To listen to. Yeah. 
if you think he does the be on end for everyone, you're a moron. Yeah. Yeah. Sound about that out. I'm gonna clip that out and start spreading it everywhere. I mean you're right. If you think it's the be all and end all for everybody, I would say that would make you a bit of a moron. That's not to say it doesn't work. Sometimes. No. No, and that doesn't mean it doesn't I mean, yeah, when you say it doesn't work, you mean obviously it doesn't have its place for people in terms of whether preference or you know, or its clinical use in terms of uh, dealing with epilepsy and yeah. or dealing or obviously helping to treat epilepsy and that type of stuff. Um It's that, like Anyone listening to this podcast, if they've seen someone on, because there's loads of Facebook marketing these days about certain diets and methods, if someone says this is the best method, you know straight away they're full of shit and they do not understand the principle of weight loss. So, someone um, on that, someone shared uh, a, I think it was a clipping from a sales page or something on a website, but in the Macros Inc. group, um, and it was. Uh, find out your time restricted feeding or intermittent fasting uh, style of diet based on your horoscope. I mean, I, I do, I do have to say, if you believe that, you need to have a good hard look. You <laughs> are you saying? Are you saying this is solely individual blame? If you believe that, you're a twat. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I. I I, horoscope is probably as far out there as I can think as an extreme example as this type of stuff. Usually it's like blood type or something that's at least semi-believable. Like, oh yeah, maybe there is something in my DNA or genetic mm-hmm. markers that have some sort of effect on what I eat or, or, or eat and then therefore it then has an outcome. At least that's like almost like a logical fallacy in terms of it's this semi-believable. I think, I mean, to be honest, I think you're a bit of a moron if you believe in horoscope, horoscopes full stop. But... Um, <laughs> It's it's a bit like religion for me. You can if you want to believe in it because it gives you some sort of kind of like feel good factor. I don't see anything wrong with that. Crack on, I suppose. Uh, in the same religion, I understand why people are religious because actually, kind of faith uh, can have a positive effect on people's lives. So good, great. Crack on. I just still don't believe in God, and I don't believe in fucking star signs. So there's no way evidence that God exists. Is there? So until well, there's no evidence he doesn't either. That is true. Absence of evidence doesn't mean evidence of absence, of course. Correct. But, you know, maybe there is another side. Maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll just die and then we'll end up in fucking heaven and everything's tickety-boo forever. But who knows? It'd be nice if it was. What, what, what do you think happens when you die? It's, it's the same thing that happened before you were born. Yeah. Okay. Because I know this is Good answer. Lot. Good answer. Yeah, but it's like, you know, I, I know I've had this conversation with before and they just don't understand where I'm coming from. It's like, obviously you can see, you can hear, even in, even when you close your eyes, you can, you know, you can see darkness, but like, what were you before? Yeah. Well, I know you're matter, and you're matter, and the matter cannot be created or destroyed. So you're obviously somewhere, aren't you? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, when you talk about, well, when you talk about souls, it's like, it's difficult because obviously it's that energy or matter or, or you know, like your consciousness, I should say, rather than souls, like your sentient consciousness. Um, can that just disappear? <sighs> I, I actually, I mean, my, my thoughts are, and I, I like your answer about saying it's like the same thing as before you're born, because actually I still think it was nothingness. And I think there's probably nothingness afterwards. I think you basically, it's the same sensation of falling asleep. I think when you fall asleep, I think, like, if you imagine there was no waking up that's it i think you're just gone which is why i'll be honest i don't really fear death that much 
um i fear missing out on things way more than death like i fear missing out on children's growing up my, like my living my children's experiences and that type of stuff way more than i do dying myself yeah i, th- I think i think it, yeah death is scary anyway because of what you leave behind and what you miss out on but physically being dead is i would imagine quite easy oh well, you know cause, yeah because i think be murdered of course well, whatever. Yeah, whatever the, the the process of death might be different, but yeah. once death happens, I think like well, I I believe there is nothingness, like you know you said before you were born. So I don't think if there's nothingness, you have really got much to worry about. Because it's, it's the thought, I mean, it's the thought of of dying and, and leaving the earth and leaving people behind and doing things. But like when you're when you're gone, it's like you can't think anymore. There's no thought. There's nothing. No. So it's, it's like I don't know. Isn't I don't it? want to. I don't want to die, but wouldn't it be funny if you did die? Well, wouldn't it be funny if you die. Sorry. <laughs> wouldn't it be funny though if if when you die, um, you do reincarnate into like some sort of animal or something else, and you can go visit like your family as a deer or a bear or or a fly or something like that. <laughs> well, I'd. Uh, hmm. What do you want to come back as? A, a bra. <laughs> Dirty, sexist bastard. Um, I don't know what I'd like to come back as. I think, I think probably either a cat or a dog. Because I guess like you, most cats and dogs are really well looked after. No care, no care in the world. No, not in China. Well, not in China, no. But China, what crazy? Right. I, I, I'm going to assume you mean because there's lots of strays and not because they eat them. Because I think again, I think that's. Um, mildly racist. Well, like, if there's, there's, what's it they call a festival when they start they, they kill and torture animals and like. Do they? Thing. Well, I've seen a few pictures and videos mm. of it. It looks freaking horrific to me. I don't know. It's a bit like a. Where is that? There's a place in uh, Scandinavia somewhere, don't they? Where like Sweden or Norway? I, don't, I can't even remember where now. Where they basically have a festival of blood or something, don't they? Where they kill dolphins or whales like one night a year, and they kill, they slaughter hundreds and hundreds of them in this little bay. They'd like trap them in a bay and slaughter them all. And obviously, like the whole bay is just blood red with the, basically the carcasses of all these hundreds and hundreds of dolphins and whales. Uh, and that still happens now. I'm like, we're in the fucking 2021 20, or the 21st century. How is that still happening? How is sacrifice even a thing? Yeah. It's because you think there's a god who's going to be happy with you, you fucking dickheads. Uh, I don't even know what. I don't. I don't know the premise of it. To be honest, I don't know why the things that what like what the premise of that festival is. Um, yeah, it's weird, really. You do think so. I mean, there's still things like even now you hear like, how is this sort of stuff still going? Like, how is modern like, I mean, modern slavery still a thing? But even even some slavery still exists in some countries. Like now, like it, you, you can even go as far to say like, how does racism still exist, or how does sexism still exist? But obviously, clearly, it does. And I hear uh, who was who did I hear talking about? I hear someone talking about kind of Jordan Peterson, and they're talking about obviously his views on stuff. And I think he was saying around how. Uh, some of the gap in, I guess, um, the, diver- the diversity gap is probably going to be widened again after the good work of the last few years have, have closed that gap because of coronavirus. And um, I think the example they used were like women that were, I guess, becoming successful in you know their line of work, the occupation, and kind of you know, earnings gaps being closed and kind of being successful and this type of stuff. Um, 
they may have been the individuals that have had to not work during coronavirus and therefore kind of like the income gap is going to get bigger again. I can't, I've butchered the details, so I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think that, obviously that would be a shame. I guess that so the, you know, the progressive nature of kind of closing that gap, if something like the coronavirus had that bigger effect, that might put people back 20 years type thing. But anyway, there was a young, uh, 30 year old woman from the U S and what app did she, what app did she make? Bumblebee or Bumble, Bumble, and it was. She's she's a, she's the youngest self-made billionaire. Fair play, she's thirty and she's worth. Isn't that the one of the Kardashians? No, not one of those. Yeah, is what, it what, one of the Kardashians? No, no, ju- no ge- one of the Jenners. Sorry, not Kardashians. One, of, I think it's she, like Kylie Jenner. Or something. Isn't she like? The, wasn't she the youngest or is the youngest billionaire? I think she was the youngest. Was she? I think when did she come billionaire? But I don't know if she was. Or one, or one of the youngest billionaires, this lady, yeah, 30 year old, and uh, she's got 18 months old as well, which is even more impressive. Obviously, clearly, we know how hard work and get babies are to get build a business like that. Unbelievable, can't believe. Anyway. I might, sorry, I just I was googling the um, the slaughtering of dolphins, and I don't know if it's actually from wrong in it being Scandinavia, unless there's another one, but I've just found one in Taji, Japan. Um, it's horrendous. Honestly, you look at the pictures and you think, "Oh my god!" Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How does that how, over two every year two thousand dolphins are killed or captured here, and the mercury laden meat shipped off to other parts of the world? Oh, okay, maybe it's not the same thing I'm talking about. Either way, it's, it's bad. Um, anyway, people are still listening, so uh, we'll we'll round up on this one, shall we? Yeah, yeah, we done. Really, we? I think we're done. Sorry to end on such a downer. I hope there's more positive things to talk about. Uh, anyway, hopefully, see you next week for a guest, uh, the secret guest. Not going to say who, uh, and uh, it'll be mildly more structured than what we managed to do today. Uh, but anyway, hope you enjoyed it. Rate, review, subscribe, and all that shit, and uh, we'll see you next week. See you later. See you later, Thank you for listening to the NNN podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week.